0: He was brought up in a land where the god was Nama, a moon god. For generations they had worshipped in that land and in that city where he was, thousands upon thousands of them, worshipping this false god. And in the midst of all that darkness, God speaks to one man, one man to change history, to change the ways the world would go, and certainly the ways that the kingdom of God would be built. If you turn with me to Genesis tonight, chapter 11, I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, Sorry, I'm not sure what you're reading from, but I'm just reading. It doesn't matter, but In Genesis chapter 11 and verse 31, we come into a setting here of families in Ur of the Chaldeans. And a man whose name was to become synonymous with the major religions of this world today, over 50% of the world today recognizes Abraham in some way as the father of the faithful or the father of faith or the father of their religion. I can remember sitting in a house off the Donegal Road in Belfast with two other Muslims who were sitting drinking. I wasn't, by the way. And a couple of boys I knew. And they said to me, Stanley, we're all from one family. And of course, he meant the family of Abraham. And I says, yeah, we can go back there. But I says, there's a five-letter word that we've got problems with. He says, what's the word? I says, Jesus, what are we going to do with him? Because you don't believe in Jesus the way that I do. But we want to go back tonight into Genesis 11. In verse 31, and this comes, of course, after the Tower of Babel, a people who had gone completely and utterly against God, building their own tower, building their own way of life. And man has always wanted to build his own way of life, and he still does it today. Whether it's through materialism, whether it's through his own religion, whatever that be, and not a religion in a church, maybe it's a religion of sport or religion, whatever. Man has always been building his own means and his own ways to reach his God, the God of his imagination. And yet here in the midst of Genesis 11, God speaks to this one man, an Ur of the Chaldeans. In the 1920s, this place was excavated. It's approximately 220 miles southeast of Baghdad. So you can maybe place that in your mind tonight, more or less away down in that desert towards Basra, towards the Iranian border. And one commentary claims there could be as many as 300,000 left in that city. I don't know. I wasn't there, but there was clearly a large city with worshiping this God, this moon God. And in verse 31, it says, And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, and Haran is, if you went northeast of Aleppo, with the city in Syria, you get in northern Syria there, deep into northern Syria. And that's where the, 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 this uh, second city of Haran is. Haran was also another center of, of moon worship. And so, the father Terah takes them to this city, and they settled there. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. And then these next three verses of scripture are probably—it's always very hard to distinguish—but probably amongst some of the most important verses of the whole of the whole Old Testament, if not of the whole Bible. Because it becomes the bridging point; it becomes the hinge between the old and the new, the the cities of of Babel, the cities of Babylon, where the wickedness and the sinfulness was. And here in verse 1 of chapter 12 of Genesis, now the Lord said to Abram, in the midst of all those people, think about it tonight. Uh, This this passage of Scripture has been running through my head for weeks, I'm sorry but it has, to think that God in His grace steps into a city, into a region, into a world to bring one man to faith in himself and to use this one man for his glory and for the building of his church among the nations. And yet, you know something? If you're a believer here tonight, you're not Abraham. But God has done something similar in each of our lives. I may have been brought up in Grace Hill and Ahochel and Ballymena, but God stepped into my darkness, stepped into my life, just as he's done with you, and called you to do something for him, I don't know what that is. I try to work out my own life each day. I remember Derek Bingham reading. Derek Bingham used to preach at the Crescent. He died a number of years ago. I remember as a young Christian or as a Christian in my twenties, going to Tuesday night at the Crescent. I don't know if any of yous ever went there. Derek Bangle, great preacher of God's Word, hundreds of people there. I remember him talking about God's well one time and he talked about it so simply. Do what lies to your hand today. What is God lying to your hand today or tomorrow morning? And if you don't know, why not get down in your knees tonight and ask him? Because this life as a vapour. The final hymn that we're gonna sing in a short time talks about life like a vapour. I pulled up the the bag blind and the other morning and, and were eleven thornbrook. I think the dogs had got me up a bit earlier, have a couple of dogs, but anyway. And the daylight had just about come. And across the fields, I looked towards a huckle on one side of me, but at the fields the whole way, the whole way to Portland on and beyond the other. And I looked across and I couldn't see more than 20 or 30 feet. The mist was so thick. It just reminded me of my life. And about an hour later, I was ready to go to Belfast, so but an hour later I looked out and there was the same mist disappearing, barely visible. And by the time I was leaving the door, the mist was gone. The reminder of our days upon this earth are short, but they're perfect. They're the days that God has given us. And when He gives us health and strength to use those days, and we've all been given health and strength to come here tonight. I spent time on the phone with someone in the past week, a dear friend of no one. We went to Bible college together and different things, but and he's struggling with cancer. He's a preacher of God's Word, and yet he's away to Eastern Europe at the minute, helping another fellow to think about planting a church in Eastern Europe, and he's returning for surgery in Belfast. Or days are like a vapour. Remind it to use them for God's glory. Now the Lord said to Abraham, "Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you." He hadn't got sat nav. He had no idea where he was going. I don't know if you've ever been on holidays and you maybe wonder where you're going, and you know you can look up Google Maps. El and me was on a holiday recently and I did look up Google Maps and because the boy was Spanish, I still couldn't find out where I was going, you know? So I stood in the middle of the street at midnight with a pile of Spaniards trying to work out where this place was where i meant to be. But anyway, that was quite simple. Although I was lost completely. I was lost. I had to get a Spanish boy to use the phone. He rang a boy. But anyway, there's a good way of meeting people. But Abraham, Abraham, he was going to leave his family, his friends, his relatives. I don't know if you know a lot about Middle Eastern people, but they're so connected. I mean, we're connected too. I'm going home with my wife. Yes, and I had my son and daughter with us yesterday, and we we're up around the north coast and it was lovely, or the, and the east coast as well. But they're very family oriented and here he is. This is no small choice. And you know there is a real cost to following Jesus. Uh, Luke 14, for instance, turn with me for a minute to Luke 14 and read just a few of these words in Luke 14 tonight. It says here in Luke 14 in verse 25, now great crowds accompanied Him. Now notice that, now great crowds accompanied Him. But Jesus was going to say to them, are you sure? Are you sure? And he turned to him and he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The the part I find the most difficult in that is, and I don't think he actually meant I hate my wife, I, I love her, but Jesus was to be first. Even to hate my own life. Just meaning that everything else must be Secondary. Christ must become first. You know the career you have, the education you do, the the job you do, the life you live, the place you are, the, the car you buy. And I'm as bad. For, I'm no hero standing here. But does Jesus come first? You know, I have to say this. It was in Spain and we met these Jehovah's Witnesses, and it was really, really warm. And I really felt like talking to them for a long while. They were from England, actually. That was one of the saddest things. And they tried to say to Ella about, was she a Christian? And she says, "Whenever she, then she turned around and actually asked them, who are you? And I wish I'd been able to spend more time with them. But you're in the middle of a busy street and there's loads of people and you're having to go to somewhere else. But you so much often put your own life in front of the life that Christ gives to you. And here he is to the crowds and he's saying to them, if anyone comes after me, think about it before you do. Really think about it. I was reading the other day about uh, uh, people who are persecuted for their faith. We we pray for people through the work. And one of them is in a Middle Eastern country, not that far away from what we're talking about tonight, but the bottom line is, the person has received a five-year jail sentence just for being a believer in Christ. And I tell you something, I won't want to spend five years in a Muslim jail as a Muslim who became a Christian. And there's something in this tonight to really, to really challenge us about what we do with our lives and, and how we live our lives. And I haven't come to make us despondent tonight, but really to what way are we committing our lives to God? Whoever does not bear his own cross, verse 27, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. Those are are some of the strongest words in Scripture. He's actually telling the people, think about it before you come to me. Think of the cost. Are you prepared to follow me? For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether it is enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all will see it and begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Of course, tonight, and the encouraging side is, that we have commenced, many of us, and if you're not a believer in here tonight, I want you to really think really serious about this. But we have begun, not on our own strength, but in the strength that God allows us and gives us. And maybe you are struggling tonight. Maybe you're wondering, how will I finish the course? One of the saddest things I had since last I was with you was, and I don't often take funeral services, but taking the funeral service of a friend who was 83 years of age, but a believer in Christ. But to be with my friend as he passed from this scene of time but God was with him, God was encouraging him, and God gave him strength. The last time I actually preached here, I ended up back in Connor the same night and visiting that nursing home, because I was driving down the road and somebody phoned me. And the man was called Wally Lavery, I don't mind telling you his name. Wally was in the nursing home, he died a few days later, he was a BB officer. Brookside. He was an elder with me in the church, and he was a godly man, and he finished the course. So, Abraham sets out here. Sorry, time is passing in verse 1. In verse 2 and verse 3, just thinking about this in closing, and I will make you a few, a great nation, and I will bless you. This is Genesis 12 and 2. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let me read to you very quickly from a book by another guy who died this year. Sorry about all this, but people, I don't know, Peter Lewis. Peter Lewis was a a, a pastor of Cornerstone Church in Nottingham for 45 years. And he's not writing these words, but there's another guy called Finneth, Ramachandra writes these words that says, "'The Hebrew Bible sets the call of Abraham and the emergence of the people of Israel against the dramatic background of the story of creation and the alienation of the families of the earth from their Creator.'" This is where they are in chapter 12. They're alienated from their Creator. They've gone their own way. It is on the heels of the depressing narrative about collective human rebellion in Genesis 11 that we read of God's call to Abraham to distance himself from Babylon, the archetypal city of human arrogance and wickedness, and begin an adventure in the wilderness alone with God. I came to the work of AWM 18 years ago, and Majah that I talked about I was in a car with him one day, and I wasn't sure what to do. And I said to Majid, what should I do? Should I go forward with this work? Or what should I do? You know what his words were to me? He says, Go forward, he says, encounter an adventure with God. I want to encourage you tonight. God's not here to destroy us, God's here to give us hope and a future. And God's here, and if God's been challenging you about a work of God, and you have a fear. I remember walking up Elmwood Avenue with Wally Kyan over 13 years ago and thinking about the work of the city mission. And I said to Wally, I says, I don't know if I can do this work. And of course I couldn't do the work. God alone could do the work through you. We're only a reflection of the light. William Moody was speaking last Wednesday night, and he was talking about the sun and the moon how we are a reflection. We're like the moon. We're not the sun. We're like the moon. We reflect God's glory through us. But what an encouragement tonight that where God has placed you, where you are in life is not a mistake. It is not a mistake you're here tonight. It's not a mistake I'm here tonight. This is the plan of Almighty God in our lives. In the place that you live, or the job that you have, or the school you go to, or the university you attend, the people you sit beside, it's not a mistake. It's not a mistake that I get lost in Spain, I get lost in Belfast, I get lost in lots of places, but it's not a mistake the people I meet. It's not a mistake the morning morning that somebody comes across my path and walks in that door in the city mission hall and says, I need help. God in His infinite wisdom and plan and purpose planned the life of Abraham, planned the life of Israel, planned the nation where they would live. Go to Joshua 15 and 22, those chapters, and see the inheritance that he had for them. And God has planned for you and me something greater in closing. Turn with me eventually to, sorry about this tonight, but Hebrews chapter 11. And just in closing tonight to think about the plan of God to bless the nations, to bless the people, and to bring them unto faith in Christ. And in Hebrews 11 and verse 8, here is the life of Abraham summarized. A life that he led by faith. By faith. The God that I cannot see tonight, but I know exists and loves me. And Hebrews 11 and 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed. Notice those words, obeyed. When he was called to go out to a place, That he was to receive it as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Heirs with him of the same promise, he went. And he never owned a foot of it. For he was looking forward to the city. What city? The city of God that is coming. That has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. This is the the God of miracles. The God of the promise who doesn't fail in one promise. Received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Since she considered him faithful who had promised Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. I was down by that sand yesterday, and you pick it up as it runs through your fingers. You cannot count it. Go to Port Stewart, go to Port Rush, go to some of the beaches and look at it. And just think how many grains is even on one beach. As many as the innumerable grains have stand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear, that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they'd had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city." Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for Your Word to us tonight. We thank you for the faith that Abraham had, but the faith that you've given to us to believe, to repent, to turn, and to acknowledge that you are the son of the living God. Jesus, we love you. Help us to love you more. Help us to walk with you more. Help us to hear your voice. And help us to serve you all the days that we have, and then forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray.